The Beer EDU Podcast, Episode 27, Community Building with John Wells. Welcome to the Beer EDU Podcast, the podcast for educators that love to learn and share ideas with fellow educators over beers, with your hosts, Kyle Anderson and Ben Dixon. Kyle, what is up, my friend? Ben, how you doing, brother? I am good. This is another episode of the Beer EDU Podcast. I believe this is episode 027. You are indeed correct on that one. And we've got another great guest yes. lined up tonight to uh, chat with us about some great stuff and to chat about beer. And speaking of which... Yes. What, what do you have? You have something really interesting. Well, yes, I do have something a little interesting tonight. Um, I went completely unknown to the world except for maybe like four people. I have a homebrew tonight. Yes. Yeah, I, I went yeah. over friend of mine that I work with, a man by the name of Zach Schnabel. He is a home brewer, and he got a hold of me one day at school a few okay. days ago, and he said, hey, I'm doing some brewing this weekend. I know you said you are interested in learning the process so you can maybe do it yourself someday, which totally true, I want to. And uh, he asked me to come over, and uh, he's like, we'll grill some hot dogs and brew some beer. So I oh. went over, and he was in the process. He showed me how to brew a session IPA which was a really cool yes. process to watch that. And then he had a pale ale brewed with rye yeah, that, that he had brewed previously. And that's what he and I drank while brewing the session IPA. Cool. So now right. mo most of the time we get into the specifics like right. the ABV and the IBU. Right. But uh, Zach, in his exact words, said, I'm not that technical and I really <laughs> don't care. So... He doesn't have an IBU. He doesn't have an ABV. He figures he's probably in the five to six range on this okay. one. Okay. Okay. Nothing exact, but yeah. um, and a pale, you know, but, ale, yeah, pale, probably. nice, nice copper color. Yeah. Um, uh, nice earthiness to it from the hops that oh. he used on it. I believe he, if I remember right, he said he used Simcoe hops on oh, it. Okay. And uh, nice earthiness to it. Um, nice maltiness, and then uh, that rye really brings out this nice little like peppery and uh spiciness awesome. really complements the earthiness to it so he did a really good job on it and um i'm looking forward to his session ipa because um just the wart as we were brewing it right. smelled amazing so i'm looking forward to when that one's ready to go here in a couple of weeks it, and it when we were talking before we started recording you were telling me like like he had a keg so that that tells me that he if he's running, if he's able to, to, to keg his stuff. So yeah, he's got, um, it's a, it's like a five a gallon one. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. something real small, some five gallons. He has in his fridge and he's got a tap coming outside the door. So cool. you don't even have to open yep. up the fridge. Yep. And then he's got a small tank of CO2 hooked up right. to it where, uh, you know, to keep it carbonated. And then, so he brew, he says he brews about every three months that, Good. um, that he can, um, you know, he can go through that beer about every three months okay. and brew. And then he and I talked about, um, he gave me a recipe book okay. to look over. And the next time he brews, probably sometime in August, yeah. he wants me to pick out the recipe, what okay. we're going to do. And then uh, we'll brew that. And that'll be my first brew, actually. Oh, cool. And um, I just looking through his book right now, um, I know they're typically brewed earlier in the year, but um, I found a recipe for an Oktoberfest. Oh, good. That looked uh, really good, uh, Marzen style. So maybe okay. we'll do that in August. and have that ready to go for October. Oh, 
cool. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I'm interested to see to to try it and, and see what he's got. I've I've never done it in a keg. I've always bottled mine, and um, I think that actually, t in my opinion, tends to make it a lot harder. So so I'd be interested to to see what you get. So right on. Well, man. and he said that he actually kegs it because it's a lot easier. Oh yeah. Um, you know, than the bottles because you get the sure. if you overcarbonate a bottle, then they start <laughs> popping off, or if you undercarbonate them, then they um then they're flat and they're no good. Yep. So, you know, there's a lot of advantages to the kegging of it. So, um, oh, yep, yeah. so I had one of my small growlers and I brought a little home with there me. There we go. Well, I went with something totally different too. Um, well, not totally different, but I mean, I, uh, I went with new Belgium, you know, their uh, fat tire ale is always good. They do uh, Ranger and a couple other ones, but they, I saw this one and it is their gluttony or gluttony, depending on how you pronounce it. I think it's gluttony pale ale and what this is is gluten-free beer interesting i was like hey it's paleo so you know i, I figured i would try it i mean it's a it's a six percent it's six percent abv 30 ibu it's not bad i mean it's not the best beer i've ever had but it's you know gluten-free and i would love to know and i sh probably should research it i would love to know how they do it so i haven't done that yeah. yet Interesting. If somebody I, knows, hit us up. I have never, I've only ever had one gluten-free beer and I, it was bad enough to where I remember it. Yeah. And I, I don't know if it's because it was the gluten-free right. or if it was just not a real good beer, but, um, and I won't throw the beer company under the bus by mentioning who they were or anything, but, um, yeah, it was just, it was a pale ale and it just, it was not good. It yeah. just did not taste good. And, um, I paid seven bucks for it, so I wasn't about to like dump it or anything. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I choked it down, but, um, it definitely is not one I have gone back to revisit. So, but, um, I'd be interested to try this new Belgian one because new Belgian, like you said, yeah. I mean, fat tire is a staple. That's oh, yeah. an absolute staple West coast staple for a long time. And then there, the voodoo ranger mm -hmm. and the, uh, ranger, the yep. original ranger IP yep. are all really good. So. It, you know, it's, it's really, I gotta say, it's, it's not the best pale ale I've had. I mean, I kind of, I kind of like, for me, the bar really is Sierra Nevada. Cause that's like one of my all time favorites, but it's, it's, I would drink it. I mean, it's not, I don't know if I'm going to go buy another six pack of it anytime soon, but you know, I was curious. So something different, but hey, you know, it was, it was good to try, but Hey, we, we have guest and we got to find out what he's drinking. Yeah, and this is an this is a very very all of our guests are special. Yes. Don't get me wrong, but this is a really special one. This is um a gentleman. He was one of our first yes. like fans slash supporters, mm -hmm. and um he shipped us a six pack of beer from his local area yes. um months ago. Hop for Teacher by Fountain Square Brewing Company. Yep. He shipped that to us. I mean, I think we were. If I, I, I think it was episode three, three yeah, was when we three, featured man. it. So it was really early on that this gentleman uh, started supporting us. And we right. were finally able to work the schedule out and bring him on. So um, we need to introduce John Wells to the podcast here. John. John. Hey, hey, guys. Welcome. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for yeah. uh, finally being able to work it out so we can do this. Yeah, for sure. So, so, so uh, what tell I us about your beer. Yeah, well, tell us what I you're am, drinking, man. I am drinking. It's from Carson's Brewery. It's one of the first breweries here in Evansville, Indiana, where I live. First brewery here. And this is called their Evil Wheat IPA. Uh, it's huh. a 6% ABV, 5 IBUs. It's got American hops, citrus, 
Uh, just really smooth. Uh, nice golden color. Love it. Cool. That's it's it sounds it's interesting. We were just joking about the fact that it is a Carson Brewery, but it's in yeah. where you live. And, uh, you know, Kyle works down in Carson City. Right. And that was one of the reasons why I picked it. I mean, Hop for Teacher was one of my first choice, but I'm like, it's already been on the show. So let's let's pull somebody new in. Not a bad choice. So uh, we may have to work something out where we do a little Nevada and Indiana beer yes. change again here pretty soon. Well, I think we can work on that. Yes, absolutely. So. So, well, now that we all got beers in hand, let's, um, let's find a little bit about you, John. Um, what do you do? What, um, what makes you tick? Um, what, what, what do you love so much about education? All right. Well, this is, um, I'm finishing my 26th year teaching English language arts. Uh, I did uh, student publications for the first 23 years, yearbooks and newspapers. Um, I am in uh, Southern Indiana. Um, and kind of a geography lesson, I'm where Indiana, Illinois, and Kentucky meets. And if I look out my classroom and a little off to the right, I can look into Kentucky over the Ohio River. So um, uh, this year, my assignment was uh, mainstreamed inclusion ELA. Okay. Uh, I had all the sophomore and junior inclusion classes um, with my special ed co-teacher. And uh, I got to say, it was a hard year, but it was probably one of the best years teaching I've had. Uh, been great. Um, I'm a Google certified trainer. Uh, I don't get to use that quite as much as I wish I did. Um, I focus a lot on uh, digital citizenship and social media uh, and how to use that in the classroom and how to talk to students about those. And I'm a, um, I work with the uh, Indiana Connected Educators Conference on their uh, planning committee and on the So We Lead uh, Southern Indiana uh, PD group. So got a lot of irons out there, but uh, I'm just trying to connect with as many teachers as I can. Cool. So, so you talked a little bit about uh, um, co-teaching and everything and, and inclusion classrooms. So for people out there might not know, like, like, what does that look like in your, in your building? And, and, and tell us a little more about that, how that works. Yeah. yeah. Um, so um, in our building and um, you know, there's two teachers, I'm the, I'm the general ed teacher. And then we have a, spe I have a special ed co-teacher and she's highly qualified in English. Uh, that's kind of what okay. the state of Indiana calls her. So she's certified in English as well. And, um, you know, we really have, she and I have really gotten to the point now where we really co-teach, you know, I'll teach part of the lesson and she just jumps in and adds in ideas. And, you know, she takes some kids to the side and I take some kids to the side. And sometimes I have the special ed kids, maybe she has a special ed kid. So, you know, we really, have really developed a good relationship and we really, I think we're getting kind of there to where we are truly a co-teaching team. Cool. Cool. I think, I think that is, I know, I know here in my district, I mean, that is the model that we, we really try to use is that, that inclusion piece. I know when I was a classroom teacher, I, my special ed teacher pushed in with me because I was one of those teachers. It's like, Oh no, 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 no. They don't get to leave. <laughs> you got to yeah. come to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, you know, and the nice thing is that, you know, she has, uh, you know, she's really grown into it. And I've really, you know, I mean, how many teachers want to give up control in their room, right? You know, true, and that true. was kind of the learning curve that I went through. But, you know, she's really kind of like, you know, she's, she's, she just jumps in. It's not like, okay, it's time for you to talk, right? right. She just jumps in and, and, you know, we know where each other's strengths are and, and who can butt. So it's really been a really, you know, with this, our, Fifth year doing this together, I think it's our fifth year together, and I think this year it's just really been clicking. 
I have a very similar uh, situation now. Grant, I haven't worked with them, uh, my general ed teacher for five years. I've only been with them for this year, but you know, it's really nice having that kind of relationship where you know you can just jump in whenever and just kind of bounce off of each other and do a lot of the stuff like you mentioned. You know, pulling students off to the side. You know, either one of you or um, you know just you know, really, really, truly team teaching, you know, like, like a good co-teaching model always, you know, shows or, or you're directed to do it. You know, it's sometimes it's real hard to do that if you don't have a good relationship with the person, but um, it sounds like you got a really good relationship. It can really make that work. Taking us some time, I mean, we're into it, you know, and I'm not going to say we're perfect at it quite yet. We're, we're getting to that point now where the kids don't even really know, like, like, oh, she's a special ed teacher. They don't even really see that anymore because we've really been trying to, to integrate each other. Like, we, mm-hmm. it's our class. It's not my class with her. It's our class. Yeah, I think that's the key to any any co-teaching um, dynamic. I mean, be it, be it like two gen ed teachers team teaching a class or, or a push-in you know, a co-teaching situation with, you know, special education or English language learners. I mean, that's, that's the key is where the kids realize it it doesn't matter who's teaching. It's just teaching. Right. And, and 75% of our kids, like it's like 78% or whatever, but you know, like the vast majority of our kids have at least a 504 plan, you know, if not an IEP, full-blown IEP. So every kid is getting every accommodation. So it's not like we teach, and then she pulls a group out to do some accommodation. I mean, you know, they're getting all of that all the time. They don't even know that we're doing that. And that's really nice to hear that you say that because, um, you know, I'm a firm believer that if it's if if an accommodation works for a specific a specific group of kids, why can't it work for everybody? Like, for example, um, why would I just tell students that an accommodation is they could use, you know, like text help or something like that? on their assignment why can't every student do that or mm-hmm. you know in world history a while back we were reading the book night by eli wiesel mm-hmm. um the story uh, about his experience in auschwitz um and you know we very easily could have said okay these students you're going to read the book you know i'm going to pull these students aside and i will either read to them or we'll do the audiobook version no we did the audiobook version for everybody so everybody could follow along we could pause it every now and then and discuss items together as a class versus mm-hmm. just a handful of students. Right. So, I mean, if it works for some, why can't it work for all? Right. And, and, you know, we did, and we did that book in our sophomore classes this year too. And, you know, there were a couple of our kids that, you know, felt a lot more confident and they're like, Hey, Wells, can, can I go out in the hall and read, you know, Hey, go for it. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to do that? Great. You know, just, you know, we're going to check back in with you to make kind of sure that you're on the same place with us, you know, but you know, we, they didn't have to take the accommodation. You know, if we felt that they were good enough or, you know, able to do that, you know, why not let them make their own path? Well, I think that's key too, is you're, what you're both describing here is you're providing equitable access to all kids to grade level text. And I think that's, that's really key. I mean, those, those days 20 years ago, and it might even be less where kids are pulled out and they're given low level work in the hopes that somehow going slower will, will somehow catch them up. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that's not going to work. Right. Well, and it's, it's like, you know, the, the in, in our building, our honors classes, you know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. they're a grade ahead. And I'm like, well, yeah, but is that really an honors level? Just because you're a sophomore doing a junior text 
Right. Does that really make you an honor? So, you know, it, it kind of works both ways. That that knife cuts both directions. That's true. Very true. Very true. I think I think it's the it's the depth of discussion. I mean, that 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 on grade level, uh, below, above, that is such a I guess to me it's such a a it's a moving target, so to speak. You know, what what are we what are we saying? They're on grade level at what? Because <laughs> you can have you can have kids that are on grade level because they know a ton about a certain subject and they read a book and take a test, or you can have kids that are off grade level just because they have no background knowledge. Right. Excellent. Excellent point. And and that we see that all the time, just because they don't understand the concept doesn't mean that they don't aren't able to read this work. Right. Right. Well, the same thing, if you're, if you're not interested in something yeah. much, I mean, you're, you could be off on that. I mean, I'm a great reader, but I, I still remember I had a course in college where the first book we read was The Hobbit, and I could I just could not get into that book at all. And I completely bombed the test because I wasn't interested. But then the very next book that we read was, um, uh, what was it then? It was um, The Importance of Being Earnest. We read the play, Importance of Being Earnest by Oscar Wilde. Mm-hmm. And I thought that thing was great. And I, I aced that test because... I was actually interested in it. So there is part of that, you know, where if a student's not interested, it's not that they're off grade level or anything with their reading skills. It's just, they just may not be interested in it at all. And and one of the things that, you know, my my co-teacher and I, you know, um, have have really tried to work on is, okay, so you don't like this text. I get it. You know, there's a lot of things that we're all going to read that you're not going to like. How many PD meetings have you been to? It's like, you could have emailed (laughs) it to me, but you know, it's like, hey, here's why we're reading this. You know, it's not just right. because it's on the list. Here's what you could get out of it or here's how it applies to you or here's how you might be able to use it. And, and, and you know, that's one of the things that we have really been focusing on is here's here's the relevance of it. And, and this is why we want you to do it. Well, and there are going to be times where you want to have students read something and you know, this is the why, this is what you're going to get out of it. And, right. you know, everybody's going to read this. But if there's not necessarily that kind of situation, why can't there be choice in that too? So, yeah. you know, give give a list of books that students could read or they bring you something and you approve of it. So, I mean, that's something that, that another class I had in college was another literature class. That's what that professor did where um, at one point we read um, – cider house rules Mm -hmm. we all read that together but then the next time around we got to choose what we were gonna read and i end up uh i think if i remember right i end up reading david copperfield that was a bad choice on my part you know because that book i did not enjoy at all but but at the same time though i was more invested in that story because i was able to choose it i wasn't forced to do it like i was the hobbit and not enjoying it and then even when you got into it and you're like, oh, this is not okay. But it's kind of like, I picked this. I kind yeah. of have to finish it now. <laughs> right. So, you know, you, it sounds like, you know, you've really built up a relationship with not just your co-teacher and your students. You, you really started, you've really worked in that community aspect of your class. Mm-hmm. So well, how have you really, like, what are some of the things you've done to really build that community sense in your classroom and in your school? Well, if, if I can back up for just a second. Um, so I'm in a big, large urban district, and we have the coaching model, right? Right. Where my, my department head, she observes me. We meet afterwards, and she kind of coaches me on, hey, here's what you did well. Here's what we can improve on. Let me come back and watch. You know. So it's that really coaching model. But how do you coach the coaches, right? And mm-hmm. um, um, 
So it was, it was earlier this year, I had a large group of department heads and assistant principals in my room watching me. And then they met with their trainers. So they were being trained how to coach us, right? And mm -hmm. the comment that came out after that was, you know, John, you know, your kids, they, you've got this community, you've got this real sense of, of, of family and, and community in that room. And, and they may not have wanted to do the work, but they wanted to do it for you. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. I love that comment. And then we looked at each other. We're like, okay, so how did we do this? I, it wasn't right. like something we set out to do. And that became a conversation that, you know, throughout the school year, you know, me and my co-teacher, my department head, uh, we, had a, we had a student teacher, you know, doing a practical in our room, you know, observations. And we brought her in. And it became this conversation that we looked at throughout the year. And we tried to identify the things that we thought really built that community. Um, and, and I think the first thing that we did that we thought really worked was that my co-teacher and I, Erin, um, Erin Weikert is her name, um, we got together last summer and we just started going through their IEPs. And it wasn't like what was their accommodation, mm -hmm. but it was like where are they coming from? Like what are their needs? What was their disability? What was the, the things that we need to know about them in advance, right? And right. so, you know, like, okay, you know, here's a physical disability. Here's a, here's some emotionals. Uh, you know, here's a kid with a two inch binder IEP, you know, um, you know, we, we started to like trying to understand the kids first. And, and again, I don't think we, we set out to do this, but you know, like to build this community like that, but we wanted to start by knowing who were we going to see in this classroom and what could we do to create this space that was accessible to them. What I think that's huge. It's like, I know people, there's always this like comp, there's always a conversation at the beginning of the year and I, I, every year I hear from teachers and they're like, do I want to, I don't want to really know about the kids. I don't want any preconceived notions. But then on the other hand, I'm like, you got to know what that kid is good at and you got to know where that kid struggles yeah. to make sure you support them. So I, I think that's a great, that's a great way to, to look at it. And, and, and again, you know, because we, we, we started off by saying, look, you know, I mean, look at our numbers. Every kid's going to get every accommodation. So that really doesn't matter to us unless there's something way out there. That's something totally different. But it was like, you know, what, what do we need to know first so that we can approach these students and we're, mm -hmm. we can really reach out to them? Well, not just getting to know the students, but getting to see what these students are all about ahead of time. You could then go back to the teachers that had them previously and ask them what worked with these students in your classroom. What kinds of things did you do to reach them, to redirect them? you know, whatever it may be. So that way you're going in prepared and having an idea of what you need to do versus going in blind and then being totally and completely sideswiped when the first issue comes up. Right. And, and I'm not, and again, you know, it's not like we got all of them, but we, I feel like we identified a lot of them in advance that, that we didn't step into something right. early on. So then once you, so once you identified those things and you identify their needs, and it sounds like you have a really great culture, how do you, how do you create that safe space where kids feel that they can, they can share their thoughts, they can share their ideas and not, you know, be judged or anything like that? Right. Well, you know, and, and again, you know, this was something that we talked about and it was like, you know, day one, day two, day three, it was really about us, like who right. we are, right? And you know, my co-teacher, you know, you know, Aaron, she talked to them about, you know, her boyfriend and about hiking and she was into that stuff. And, and the last few years I've shared this like photo collage of all the stuff that I'm into. 
And it's like, you know, here's me and my kids and, you know, here's me and my fountain soda. That's how I caffeinate in the morning. And, you know, here's books that I'm reading and I'm a NASCAR fan. So here's a picture of Kyle Busch and, you know, movies and books, and whatever. And then across the bottom was like music. Like, you know, here's what Wells is into, right? You know, and I had show tunes and I had old school hip hop, you know, NWA and, uh, you know, salt and pepper and, and, you know, I you know, hair bands. And then, of course, here's Carly Rae Jepsen and, and Taylor Swift. And they're like, dude, you like Taylor Swift? And I'm like, uh, hello, who doesn't? She's here to save music. And, and, and it, that was the conversation starter. You know, then the kids were like, oh, have you heard so-and-so? Or, hey, have you listened to this song? Or, hey, let me show you this. And, you know, we created a playlist that we could use, you know, in work time and and we had a kid who was learning to play guitar, so he videoed himself playing Guns N' Roses, Patience. And, wow. and it was just this, like, and again, I, we didn't set off to do this, but it was like, hey, here's some common things, the things that we have in common that you can talk to us about or that we can connect in these areas. And once we connect here, we can kind of start branching out a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm going to agree to disagree with you on Taylor Swift being the savior of music. (laughs) But at the same time, though, you being able to have that connection with kids and open up like that made you more human and approachable, which Mm -hmm. is something that some teachers really struggle with that. You know, you you can walk into a classroom sometimes and you could tell which teachers just don't really have like a culture or relationship with their kids because they either because they're introverted or because they don't want their kids to know them. (laughs) in that personal way, but it's something I think is really important. Mm-hmm. Well, and it, and it wasn't day one, you know, like, like sometimes, you know, you, you see those classrooms where, okay, I'm Mr. Wells and I do this and this and okay, now we're going to do our lessons and stuff. Right. 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 And, and, and it's not just day one, it's day two, it's day 10, it's day 100. You just keep having those conversations. Well, and I think that's key. I think what you, what you're describing is like that idea of, I always say it's like go slow to go fast and like mm-hmm. like you need to take like like culture eats strategy for breakfast and I mean that's a, that's that saying's out there all the time and I, okay. I've talked with people about that I'm like if you don't have a good culture I don't care what curriculum you have I don't care if you have every single kid is above grade level and you've got a million you know a two million dollar budget in your building and that's not gonna that's not gonna get that's not gonna move kids that's not gonna grow kids and I think that's exactly what you're describing is you have to take that time. Yeah. It sounds like you have. And, and even like once we, you know, we got into the content and, you know, we did a lot of, you know, gradual release where I do and we do, and then you do. And when they're in that, you do, you know, we're kind of floating around, you know, desk to desk, you know, you're sitting with the kid and, you know, maybe it's like when we're working on an assignment, maybe it's in the hall before class or even at lunch or whatever, you know, Hey, Wells, you know, uh, here's a picture of my new dog, you know, Mm -hmm. or, or, hey, I saw this movie, and, and you, you let them talk for a few, you know, 30 right. seconds, a minute, you know, okay, okay, but why don't we finish this, we could talk more about it, right, you know, you kind of bring right. it around, uh-huh. but, you know, it's, 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 we allowed that conversation, it wasn't like, this is the only time you can talk, you know, because that's, isn't that how we work, I mean, you know, in our, in our adult lives, you know, you're, you're in PD meeting, and you're talking about, you know, whatever state testing and then you tell this story about what you did and then you come back we we kind of get off track and we let we let our students do that but we have that constant conversation we allow students to talk with us yeah i've heard it said several times in different ways about needing to you know address culture every day 
for 180 right. days, not mm-hmm. just, you know, the first day of school or whatever. The, the one that keeps coming to my mind right now is Brent Coley, a principal in Southern California that, you know, that's something that he really stresses is building that culture with uh, his school and then his teachers in their classroom or whatever. But, but he's right. Everybody I've heard is right. You're absolutely right, John, about working on that every day because it's not something that, you know, the kids aren't going to remember that on day one. And then if you just, you know, it's, if it's business all day, every day after that, mm-hmm. you're just, you're going to lose kids. And then when that issue does come up, you're, you're not going to be able to redirect around that. It's going to become a, a bigger issue than just a simple redirection. Well, and, you know, and, and I think, and one of the things that we discovered was that, you know, once we start allowing those conversations to happen, right, then this, then the students feel empowered to share something about themselves. Like, you know, okay, so Wells is like a big Swifty and stuff, whatever, but then they start sharing about themselves. And, you know, I I had a girl, and I think I even talked about this on the, uh, on the uh, NV Ed chat one time. You know, her dad just got out of jail mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and I, I knew he was in jail. I didn't know he was out. And she just made a comment about him. I'm like, okay. And then she goes, you know what we did? He t- went and took me to get my nails done. Like, like, how would you have ever known that if you didn't have that environment where the student felt safe enough to a, my dad was in jail right. and b to share something that that was probably a pretty intimate uh, moment for her and her dad. You know, like she hadn't seen him in, you know, quite some time. And that was their first thing together. And, you know, I mean, I, I'm not going to say that I cried, but I was like, oh, my God, oh, that got me right there. That got the feels there, girl. You know, and, and, but they felt safe enough to share things like that with us. Well, and not only just like, you know, students feeling safe to share something as big as that with you, but it just it makes life just so much more fun. And it makes going to your job every day more fun when you can have those kinds of relationships. I have a student right now that I slipped in, you know, unknowingly a letter Kenny, the TV show that's on Hulu uh, right now. I slipped in a reference one day. Um, you know, I knew what I was doing, but I'm like, no kid's going to know this. And then all of a sudden this kid, he says something right back in, re- in regards to that reference. And now when we greet each other every day, we greet each other like a couple of the characters on Letterkenny do. And it's absolutely hilarious. And it's something that, you know, had I not been, you know, comfortable enough to do that with my kids, I would have never been able to have that relationship with that student now. So now we can have conversations, not just about the content, but about one of our favorite shows. Yeah. Well, and, and let me give you an example here of, of what this looks like in our room, uh, where I think this is like, like to me, you know, again, now that we've kind of gone back and done that postmortem and like, okay, here's where we're at and this is what's working. Mm-hmm. Um, we were reading uh, some nonfiction articles about sweatshops and about different viewpoints of sweatshops, right? Like we in America would like, oh, those are bad. But, you know, in third world countries where you got nothing, a sweatshop might be, you know, your ticket out, right? And, you know, I'm filtering around the room and, you know, my phone buzzes and I kind of pick it up. And it's an email from a girl that's in the room across the hall or across the, the room from me. And she's like, hey, Wells, I can't, I can't read this. I can't read this. And I'm like, okay. So, you know, so I kind of, you know, casually work my way over. And I'm like, hey, you know, what's wrong? I got your email. What's, what's up? And she's like, I can't read this. It's, it's, it's caused me too much anxiety, you know? And I'm like, okay, what, what part? And it was about this, the part of the story or this uh, article was about some kids that were foraging for food. You know, they didn't have anything. Mm-hmm. And she goes, you know, we haven't been that bad, but you know, that that's what, you know, my, my, my family and I, you know, there's times when we just don't have enough. 
And, and I'm like, okay, cool. Here's what we're going to do. You know, like, let's not read this part. Let's, let's read the rest of it. You know, don't do these questions, do the rest, you know, and, 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 you know, think about, think about what just happened there. The fact that, you know, first off, she felt safe enough to say that, that she right. trusted me, not only with that information, but that I would act appropriately, right? Like, you know, mm -hmm. like, okay, I'm reaching out to him and I need something from him and he will react. And, and then it didn't become a confrontation. Like, you know, we saved a problem in the room instead of like, hey, you didn't do these questions or right. suck it up, just read this or her just not doing the work, right? You know, because we had that relationship, because we had that community, because we had that safe environment, we were able to work out for her something that was effective, something that still got the learning for her, but that was not going to prevent her from getting that learning. And, and I think, I think what you just described is, is, you know, it's a snapshot of a moment in your classroom, but it is so monumental when we think about education and we think about kids who we label bad kids or kids who don't do their work. And it's like, you take the time, like, what is the reason that a student's not doing something? Because usually it's not because the kid just wants to piss you off. That, that's not why. No, no. <laughs> it, there's there's a deeper reason I think I think that is that's huge that that your kids have that that safe space to be like hey I can't do this here's why right. help me right now I'm not going to say it's every kid I mean you know I, uh, that right you know that's I, I'm not going to be so you know blind like oh hey you know, <laughs> I'm saying ever you know <laughs> but, but you know it's when it works it works and and you know and it helped her. And right. that's what I'm there for, you know, that's what we want to happen. And, and it worked and let's go with it. Let's do it. And let's see what we can do to keep building on that. That's awesome. And uh, I mean, I'm sure we could sit here for hours just trading <laughs> stories mm -hmm. about um, situations like this, you know, where you know, we've we've made a connection with a kid or we've learned something about a kid that you never would have known or, um, you know, even like save them from a situation like, you know, whether they're being bullied or, you know, something horrible was going on at home mm -hmm. or something like that. We could spend hours doing this, I think. Right. And, and, and if I can add one more layer to this, um, my my what our, uh, our pre-service teacher, you know, in this conversation. Right. Uh, she, you know, she's like, hey, Wells, I get it. You know, you, you, you got this connection with this kid, but you're also the rules guy. Like you're always on them for dress code and, and backpacks and, you know, and I'm probably not as hard on the cell phones as I should be, but you know, you're the rules guy, you know, how can you have trust with them if you're always like redirecting and correcting? And, you know, and that, again, that was another really cool conversation that we had, but, you know, we kind of came down to the fact that, you know, a good community has norms and values and expectations. You know, I expect everyone when I drive down the expressway that they're going to drive on the right side of the expressway, not the left mm -hmm. side. You know, I'm, that's that's just how we are, right? And, you know, my, my students know, okay, it sucks that John's going to do this, but right. he's going to be consistent. And and his co-teacher, you know, Miss Weikert, she's going to be consistent. And and it's not just me, it's all of us. And, and you know, and I think that that helps reinforce that we – we care, you know, I mean, like, we're just not letting you skate by, you know, this is, this is, you're in this with us. This isn't just us. You're here with us too. Let's do this together. 
Well, and there's also, you can redirect a student or you can reprimand a student. And there is a very, very big difference between the two of those. Yeah, a like redirect you know, is something where, you know, you just remind them of the expectation and you don't make a big deal out of it. Whereas a lot of, a lot of times the reprimand becomes a big ordeal and then somebody feels slighted in the ordeal and then it becomes even bigger. And if you're doing way more redirecting than you are reprimanding, you're just going to have a better day, a better week, better month, so on and so forth. Well, and, and, you know, and again, you know, as a, as a, a great example, you know, I've got a kid who, uh, as my department chair says, uh, he provides me lots of opportunities to, uh, re, uh, to, to reach out. <laughs> and, uh, he, and he definitely, you know, he's oppositionally defiant and, and, you know, there, there's a lot of issues there, but, you know, he was like, Wells, you're always, you're the only one who ever gets onto me for my dress code. You're only the, you know, you're the only one who gets onto me for this. And I said, come here, come here. And, and I was like, let me pull up your grades. And I'm like, look, do you see that no one else is getting on to you for this? Yeah. Do you see your grades in those classes? Yeah. And he was failing all of them. And I'm like, they're giving up on you. Like, they, they just want to get out, right? They don't want you to do anything. They don't want to deal with you. They just want you to, they want to coexist, right? I said, I'm, I have expectations for you, but I want you to be successful. And, you know, I'm going to push you. But part of being pushed is being a part of our group, being a part of our society, being part of our community. And, and you know, it really showed him, you know, and, and he did realize later on, he did say to us, you know, you guys really do care, don't you? And, you know, that that's part of it that, you know, being a being a member of the community, you know, sometimes you got to put in some skin, too. And, and that's part of it. Yeah, that's that's huge. That's that. I think that that piece of of the connection piece, the relationship piece, it's not, you know, it's it's high expectations. I expect I expect great things of you. We're not going to, you know, I, I know a principal that I know she would describe it. You know, we can't love kids to mediocrity. You know, no. that's that's not what we're here for. No. Now, obviously, you, you you have to meet them where they're at. For sure. But but then there's like, hey, you got to meet me where I'm at. And, right. You know, there's a, everybody's got to participate. Mm-hmm. And if you want to be part of this team or, or family or whatever you want to call it, you know, you've got to participate. You just don't get to sit on the sidelines. Right. Right. So let's walk it back a little bit again. So, I mean, you've got a great relationship with your kids, but, um, and you mentioned now you've been working with your co-teacher now for five years. So, Mm -hmm. um, what kind of stuff did you do to help build that relationship that really just kind of set the groundwork for the relationship you have with all the kids, if you really think about it. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the, uh, we did, we actually were together for three years and then we were off for two and then we came back. This is our second year together again. Um, you know, it's, I think that we're kind of, I don't know if it sounds cheesy. We, we kind of compliment each other, right? Like mm-hmm. she's the feely one. I'm, I'm, I'm not, <laughs> you know, she's the mom. I'm the dad. If you want us to call it that, you know, but, you know, it really took us some time to see, hey, this is what I'm into and this is what you're into and how, you know, how do we complement each other? And I think that really that those kinds of conversations and, and again, you know, this is the, you know, it's been tough on me to let go, but it's also been tough on her to be, you know, to be that step up, right? Like a lot of those special ed co-teachers are, 
I'm only here to help when somebody isn't getting it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think both of us pushing each other have really helped kind of build that sense of this is us, not you and me. It's us together. I have a, a guy I work with that I co-teach with and um, the program that we do, it's a, um, it, it's a behavioral program where a mm-hmm. student either they're not they're not hacking it in the regular school day because just regular school is just not their thing. Or if, if they were a behavior issue where kind of a three strikes you're out kind of deal, but we don't want to expel you because then, you know, now you're not getting an education. Also, um, my co-teacher and I, for this program, we go, it's after school for an hour and a half, four days a week where they come in, they do some online stuff. And, and it's a similar dynamic where, you know, he's more of like the uh, the bleeding heart and I'm more of the tough love kind of guy, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not something that like where we have, this is the set of kids that I work with, this is the set you work with. I mean, we're working with all of them, but especially after you get to know the kids, you you figure out how you're going to approach them. So, they, I mean, there's certain kids that if they're having a tough day, I don't go anywhere near those kids because I know anything that I do or say may set them off. You know, so then my partner, he he's the one that's probably going to deal with them a little bit more. But then there's other kids that they they react a little bit better to more of that like tough like, hey, you need to get on this, you know, where I'm riding them a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but it's a great dynamic that we have with that. And unfortunately, he's not going to be working with me next year. I got to work with somebody else now, and nothing against the person I'm going to be working with. But I had a really good thing going with my my co teacher on this one. So. But, you know, I mean, I didn't know him nine months ago, and we built a great relationship. So um, I can do the same thing with whoever's coming in. Yeah. And, and you know, it, it's great because, like, like and, and I know this, again, this sounds cheesy, you know, but it's like we know that there's times when the other's, like, stuck, right? And we even have, like, a sign, like, you know, two fingers to the, you know, your two right fingers on your left shoulder, kind of thrown to the bullpen a little bit, right? And, and she will throw me the sign and, you know, it's very non-discreet, you know, it, it's, it's very non you know, it's not out there. The right. kids don't know what's going on, but when she's in trouble, you know, she gives me the sign and, and I know I take over, you know, I'm just going to, and, and the kids don't see that as a, you know, they don't, they don't see the problem there, right? They don't see the vulnerability, if you will, you know, they just see it as a seamless transaction between the two of us. And, and I can throw the sign to her and she takes over you know, maybe it's an interaction with a student. Maybe it's, you know, just the lesson or the content when she's like, uh, I think I'm stuck. I don't really get this, you know, and, and then I just kind of step in. But, you know, we have built that relationship where it's okay if you're like stuck. It's right. okay if the student's wearing you out to throw the sign and I'll, I'll come save you, right? And, and, and I think that some people that, especially a gen ed teacher, I think that would be hard for some people. I know it was hard for me at first to be able to say that, like, oh, okay, oh, I need help. Get get this person away. I'm not getting it. You know, I don't know what he's saying. And 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 you know, to have that faith that somebody's gonna come and get you and save you, that that I think that goes a long way. Well, and I think I think that comes with like you were saying, you've been with this person for quite a while. And I think I think sometimes we we pair people up and I always like to joke that like it's, it's basically when I, I've had teachers or I've been a, in a co-teaching or even a team teaching, like in an elementary situation, I'm like, it's an arranged marriage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we hope, we hope it works out, but we know, you know, that first year, that's going to be rough because you both have to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And, and, and she and I are coming at it from a very similar standpoint. And I mm-hmm. think it took us a little bit to get there too. 
that, you know, we're both into, you know, we're, we're moving to standards-based grading. We really right. are focusing on, you know, the skills. It's not, hey, we got through night. Hey, we got through of mice and men. It's, hey, are they able to cite evidence? Are they able to, you know, uh, 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 create an argument that stands up? You know, we really build on the skills, not just like, did we get through a text? And so she and I share some of those same values. And I, I you know, I think that's really gone a long way in helping us build because we're coming from the same place. So to kind of just summarize everything, I mean, because we've gone over so many great things and you've thrown so many great nuggets our way. Um, to kind of, if you had to summarize in one sentence or just a couple of bullet points real quick, somebody that's maybe new to the profession or maybe struggles with building culture in their classroom, what what is something, what is the biggest thing that you would throw their way, like one sentence? Um, you know, I mean, I think, whether it's with your co-teacher or your co-workers, maybe it's not your co-teacher, your co-workers, it's the students, um, you know, is it okay to be you? I mean, you know, uh, you know, I, I we hear that like, you know, you gotta be the, you know, don't be the sage on the stage or, you know, mm -hmm. those kinds of cliches, but I think it's okay to be you, you know? So if you like the St. Louis Cardinals or the Cubs or the whoever's, or you're in a Swifty or, you know, I'm, I'm all into Carly Ray, you know, I mean, so what? it's okay to be you. You don't have to be somebody you're not because the kids aren't going to be either. Well, and I, I think, I think kids are the best at, at calling us out. Cause they know, they know when you're faking it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, and if, and if you're going to fake it, you know, and, and they're going to call you out on it, but, right. but then what message does that send? Like, you're trying to be something you're not, or right. you're trying to be better than them, or are you trying to build this wall between you and them? You know, okay, yeah, the kids make fun of me because I'm a Swifty. So what? You know, I mean, I wear wigs. So what? You know, it, it happens. And <laughs> it's part of the fun. And that's part of like who I am. And they may not remember, you know, me, you know, after they graduate, but they're like, oh, there's that one guy that did this okay, great. You know, uh, that's cool. And, and that's part of building that relationship. If it makes you feel better, my kids make fun of me all the time for being bald. And then I just come back with, you know what? I choose to do this. I can grow the hair, but this is just way easier. So, which I'm not lying. That is the truth. I am definitely, my hairline is receding, but this is just way easier. And if I wake up late in the morning for work, I don't have to do my hair. So I'm okay with that. Yeah. Well, and then, you know, when I put on the Joe Dirt mullet and I tell them, you know, this is kind of a throwback to my high school days. Ask your dad. <laughs> nice. There you go. So, well, John, man, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom with us. You know, it, it took us way too long to bring you on, but I'm really glad we were able to pull this off. Well, thanks a lot, guys. And, and like I said, I'm, I'm not going to say that we were the best at it or that we actually, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to lie. We didn't set out to do this. But, you know, the things that we did, you know, they worked for us and, you know, we're, and we're super stoked that we did it. And now we have a great place to start with next year and, and to build on. Well, and I, I think, I think that the things you talk about are, are just, they're key, they're key pieces to, to this job. I mean, we, we do so much, but I think without what you're describing, you're not going to get to the other stuff, whether you're a first year teacher or a 30 year vet. No, I, I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. Plus, it makes your 
your school life a lot more entertaining. <laughs> Very true. I mean, really, truly. I mean, that's that that you got it. You got to have fun. You got to you got to laugh. You got to make you know, it's got to be exciting. You got to got to get the engagement. Yes, definitely. So thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Well, you, you've been in the classroom yes. for 26 years or in your words, over 6,500 school lunches. That is exactly. So, I'm probably over 6,700 oh, now. I, yeah. I saw that and I was like. I have never thought that. And I have 21 and I'm like, God, that is a lot of school lunches. Well, that's <laughs> all the time as a student and, and, and as a teacher, you know, so, I mean, I can't, you know, not just teaching, but okay. the goal is to hit 10 grand. I want to hit my 10,000th school lunch and maybe my district will buy it for me. We'll see. <laughs> that It's so funny. You say you guys are talking about how many school lunches behind you. I have been in, this is the end of my 14th year. I have never once had a school lunch. Oh, uh. Never once. I have never once. I don't and know at this point anymore. <laughs> <laughs> at this point, I am making it my goal to go my entire career without doing it until the very last day. Then I will have a school lunch. And, there and you I, go. Yeah. And I don't, I don't, I don't know if it's the same cause I'm, I will date myself, but I mean, I remember the lady in the lunchroom, like the classic movie school lunch where they they dish it out to you i mean i see kids now and it's all packaged i'm like well that's no right. fun yeah they still dish out at our school but it ain't that's nice packaging. yeah yeah, yeah. now yeah. grant i had school lunches throughout elementary middle right. and high school but as yeah. an educator i have never had a school mm. lunch yeah so. i just i just don't i just don't get moving you know i mean i get up early in the morning but making a leftover dinner is not my thing <laughs> Well, and I think part of it is going with you, John. You said they still dish it out. I might eat yes. it if it was dished out versus the pack. It's always been prepackaged, and you're like, it. I, I don't know what's in it. According <laughs> to the government, they say it's healthy, but that doesn't mean it's good no, that or anything. That, that doesn't mean the dishing out is much different. <laughs> yeah, but at least it. I, I feel a little bit better about it actually being dished out. But I also grew up in a small town where the dishing out, some of it was actually homemade too. So yeah, true, true. There we go. Yeah. So, but um, no, but I was gonna say though, after all those years and the years you got coming up and all those lunches, um, your kids are very lucky to have you. Yes, so. I would agree. No, thank you, guys. Thank you. So, well, we would love for the listeners to, well, share how many school lunches they've had in their day. That'd be awesome. Yeah, we should, that would also, be good to know. Yeah, so, yeah, throw that on the uh, Beer EDU pod hashtag. Email that at beeredupodcast at gmail.com. Um, you can tweet at us, at Beer EDU Pod, the Facebook page we got. Yep. Um, John, you are also on Twitter, and uh, where can we find you on Twitter? Uh, on Twitter, you can find me at at R-H-S Teach. All right. So make sure that you are following him and his nuggets of wisdom. And uh, your tweets get, get a little hilarious at times, too. So, uh, you know, if you need a good laugh, follow this guy. Yes. Um, you can do a voice message on the Anchor app. And then I also saw there's been an update where you can actually go on the website on the computer and leave a message through Anchor as well. You don't have to do it through the app. So awesome. we would love to hear your voice and throw that on the episodes. Um, reviews in iTunes or Google Play would be awesome. Yes. Um, and if you would like to be a guest, bit.ly slash beer edu podcast, the contact and subscription info link, complete our guest form, and we would love to have you on. Yes, please hit us up. Hit us up. And, um, and jo again, John, we can't thank you enough for being on. Hey, thank you guys. I appreciate it. I've been looking forward to this all week. <laughs> all 
Right on. So I think I think now, Kyle, it is the segment. Um, John, definitely stay around. We're gonna we're gonna um, talk about beer. This is where we learn about beer. And Kyle, you you've got something for us. Yes. Um. So, you know, after having Zach's rye pale ale that he made, um, obviously he incorporated rye into that brew, and I I just got kind of thinking a little bit. Like rye is not necessarily an ingredient you think about. When it comes to beer real often, you think about it more often with bread, which yes. rye is probably my favorite kind of bread. Right up there, probably a tie with sourdough. Okay. So both of those are up there. Now, if you give me a rye sourdough, it'd be the best thing ever. So, <laughs> um, But so you don't really think about it much with beer. It's been, but rye is something that it, it grows really well in bad soil. Yes. It grows really well in cold climates and you can grow it just about all year. In fact, I remember... We would plant rye in like October near where we were going to be deer hunting. Oh, so that because it would even grow like when the snow started coming, right. it would still grow, right? And that would attract the deer, yes, um, when we were hunting. So, so it's definitely so it's been around for centuries, it's been used for you know, obviously bread, and then whiskey is something that rye is used quite a bit for, especially your Canadian whiskeys. Yes, in fact, that, a lot of yeah, Canadians I, will actually refer instead of saying. What will you have? You'll have a whiskey and coke. They'll right. a lot of times say a rye and coke. Yep. Yeah. So there, there definitely is a strain, and, and there is specific ones that are called rye. I would be lying if I said I have never sampled any of that. <laughs> oh, I, I am a fan of the rye for sure when it comes to that distilled spirit. Right. So, but beer is something that rye is used. I wouldn't say extensively, but it started to become a little bit more popular because of the craft brewing phenomenon that the United States and really the whole world has become. But there is a style of beer called a Rogan beer. I may have butchered that. It's German. Okay. Um, we always we always circle the wagons back to Germany when it comes to <laughs> beer. Um, but which I mean, it translates literally to rye beer, where oh. they used rye in the process of brewing along with the barley. Okay. And what the rye does when you brew it um, into a beer, a lot of times it adds a really crisp finish. And okay. then, like Zach's beer, the pale ale that he made, it has a slightly spicy flavor to it and a little bit of a peppery flavor that really goes along well, especially with those earthy hops, um, okay. like your Simcoe hops that um, Zach used in in this beer. So now it, it's not like they're not using a lot. It's not like all of a sudden, like, you know, 100 percent of the malt is rye. That would be overpowering, to say the least. Right. Um, but. What I was finding on this website, morebeer.com is where I found this, and I just love that name. Um, by malting rye, it releases the sugars that are very similar to your standard barley, and it gives the yeast the food source for fermentation, and then it also releases those flavors uh, that we mentioned as well, that spicy and that peppery. So um, Now, again, it's not a really common ingredient in beers but it's starting to become more common so sierra nevada which is one we always yes. go back to ben um they have their ruthless rye ipa yes it did and i have had that one yes it's good i haven't seen it for a while i'm not sure if they're on a hiatus for making it because it definitely was seasonal yes whenever did. they did make it um i can't remember when they i like I, said, I haven't had it for a couple of years but that's a great example of a rye beer um, when I was living in Las Vegas, there was a brewery down there called Joseph James, and okay. they make one called Citra Rye. Wow. And it's a pale ale. Um, so it's all citra hops. So right. you get the rye, the peppery, the spicy from the rye, and then you mm-hmm. get the the citrus from that citra hops, and that was a nice little balance. Um, Founders, which is one that we refer to quite often, right. they have one called Red's Rye IPA. 
I haven't had it. Um, that but, one's pretty you know, popular. I've seen that one in quite a different, quite a lot of places here on the West Coast. Yes. Um, and then I, I haven't had this. I know Great Lakes Brewing Company. Um, one of the first craft beers I ever had was Great Lakes Edmund Fitzgerald Porter. Okay. And uh, they make one. And wait for it. You're going to love this. John, the music guy, guy in you, you're going to love this. Yes. Their beer is called Rye of the Tiger. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that is yes. cool. Yeah, so I the Great Lakes Brewing, it's out of Cleveland. I'm not sure how far west they go, but if any listeners are willing to find some Rye of the Tiger and send it our way, I want to I, I want to see the the bottle art yeah. too. I think that would be amazing. Yeah, tag us, tag us if you're you're out there and you're listening and you can get that beer. Tag us, tag the the hashtag the the beer edu pod and and take a picture of it. Yeah, definitely. So that would be uh, that'd be really great. So, but uh, so yeah, that's um why brewers use rye in the brewing um, process. I- and like I said, I, I, that is, I mean, I've had some, but I hadn't really thought about, about that, about why people use that. So cool. For sure. Right so, on. Well, I think that, um, that about puts uh, episode 27 away. Yes. Yes. We're, we're wrapping it up. And, and, and again, we can't thank you enough, John, for being on. Hey, thank you for inviting me. So for sure. So we'll be coming at you very soon with episode 28. We've got, Lots of awesome guests yes. uh, lined up for future episodes. And um, I think, uh, Ben, you and I are just going to do a little wrap-up episode here, just the two of us At here uh, pretty soon, too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that'll so be coming we, soon. Yeah, we definitely want to get the guests on. We don't want to keep them waiting. Yeah. So, uh, But, yeah, uh, we'll definitely be doing kind of a year-end wrap-up. And then um, we've got some announcements to make more of a, on our personal and professional levels as well. So, Yep. That, yeah, that got some stuff to share. So, But, yeah, we want to get our guests on. Cool. So, all righty. Well, thank you all out there for listening. Until next time, may the malts and the hops be with you. Right on. Right on.